welcome back. I I guess I was reading and I needed to close off Dean and I was <laughs> busy reading some of these things, which I really love because I want people to get really clear of the purpose of being here. And it really is to utilize this time being in a physical body to also grow spiritually. It's the experiences that we have. Every experience we have is for our lessons. And it's, you know, we have our ego responding or reacting in certain ways. And, uh, and we're going to be challenged throughout our life. Um, it's the way life is. But how we move from reacting with our ego to responding appropriately through our spirit is, um, is the whole process of life, of, all, of growing in oneness with God. So this is truly the goal that uh, Jesus came here to show us this way. This is the way. And this is why um, David Capps wrote the book. Um, it's called The Gospel of Thomas, A Blueprint for Spiritual Growth. And there's a lot of people that have done, you know, taken this book and have different interpretations. But I'm going to emphasize that many people have told David and many people have told Miriam that there's no other um, commentary on the Gospel of Thomas as as accurate and true to the meanings of what these sayings are or truly mean as the book uh, written by David Capps because he actually did the work to become one with God. And wouldn't you say that's true, Carol? Oh, yes, Ingrid. Uh, the couple of readings that you um, recited there prior to the break um, it reminded me of the, of the huge difference between believing and knowing. Um, when you believe, usually you are accepting what you heard somebody else say or what you read that another other person wrote down. And that is fine. That is good because there's an awful lot of inspirational uh, words spoken and writings written. So that's good. But until, like you were saying in those readings, Ingrid, until you knuckle down and do the work that Jesus did and that Jesus taught us to do, you will not actually know knowing in the sense of experiencing from your God self within, right? Absolutely. Now, there is one, another one I wanted to share. Um, Go ahead. This says, um, well, this one happens to be why it's not in the Bible. It's 51. Why the Gospel of Thomas? There's a lot of reasons why Gospel of Thomas wasn't in the Bible. I don't think this is the only one, but according to David Capps, this is actually a reason why it's not in the Bible. He said, um, uh, yeah, okay, just 51. His disciples said to him, when will the repose of the dead come about, and when will the new world come? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what you look forward to has already come, but you do not recognize it. So this is actually really important for, to me because on this show, we're, we're actually getting caught up in the physical outer reality, you know, with our bodies and our, you know, what's going on outside of here and the, you know, just everything. You know, this is what RBN does, you know, the history of the human race, all of it, right? 
So this saying is one of the reasons he says the Gospel of Thomas was not selected for inclusion in the New Testament by the early Christian church. This question is about the end times. It assumes an outer interpretation where the coming of the new world will be a collective experience, one which happens to everybody at the same time. Jesus is explaining that it has already happened. They do not recognize it, which renders the coming of the new world an individual experience, which must be individually entered into. Uh, The new world is not a physical one, but one of a new consciousness. This is the same kingdom of heaven Jesus has been talking about all along. So this is, and why this is important is that we have these solar flares going on. There's, we call this the Great Awakening. But part of the Great Awakening is us not just being aware how we've been lied to and the, the deceit and, you know, the world of what we call Satan, you know, taking over the earth. And, but we're, the whole earth, the whole planet is giving us this opportunity to grow in oneness with our creator, with God. And we need to start doing the work. Because the planet's going to surpass us. We're going to go, it's going to go into higher realms and consciousness. And if we don't start working on it before we pass, we're going to miss the boat. And this is a huge opportunity for us to be here, to be, you know, in a body at this time. So while we're in a body, we need to do the work. So go ahead. What what other reason are we here but to grow spiritually? (laughs) Thank Why you. did we come? Um, you know, so many times these wonderful born-again Christians will be looking to the skies and saying, you know, come Jesus, and then they'll also say, take me home. But I ask myself, you know, through their <laughs> pretending to be they, uh, why did you come? What was your reason for coming here? Did you do the work that your soul planned for you to do? Just a question. Right. No, no, that's excellent. No, that's excellent. So go ahead. We're, now that we're in the second hour, go ahead and share your story because I think it's it's fascinating because you've been seeking all your life. Uh, yes, most, I didn't know it for the first few decades. Um, okay, so um, Ingrid, if I were to tell you my story, I have some notes here. If I were to go through my story, I could do it in probably between 15 and 20 minutes, but that might be boring. I would rather just start it, and then you make comments, but here's one, one thing that's very important for me uh, tonight here, and that is that I get to the end of my story, because if I don't get to the end of the story, then everything that I'm sharing won't make as much sense. I need to get to the end so that it ties it all together, okay? Okay. So Perfect. May I? May I just? Well, may I just? Begin? Well, we're gonna we're gonna probably ask. Um, sure. Well, let's ask Frank if he can skip the uh, first commercial of this hour. Yep. He just he just affirmed. So we're just gonna do the commercial at the bottom of the hour. So let it rip, okay. Carol. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know, um, I, I want to say this too, um, as the listeners are going along with me, hearing me go from this point to that point to the next point to the next point, I want to um, let you know, I want to say ahead of time, please don't be impatient because every point, every dot that I'm connecting through, through these years uh, figures in essentially 
it, it does significantly and even essentially it figures in to the story of how I got to the point where I then was ready to meet a teacher uh, such as David Capps and study with him for 20-some years, okay? Um, so I'd like to begin, Ingrid, by um, citing an ancient spiritual maxim that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. By the way, is, is my modulation okay now? Or is it still... Uh, you're, you know? you're really clear. You're not scratchy like you were. All right. Very good. Let me know if, it, uh, if I get too close or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. If you just back it off, back off from where you're speaking into the phone, it's it's perfect. Okay. Yeah. So isn't that wonderful? God will give you all eternity if you need it to get spiritual, right? But when you mm-hmm. are ready, when the student is ready, he sends the the appropriate teacher. And in my life already, I've had you know quite a few different teachers. Okay. So let me begin here by saying that my journey, both physically speaking and spiritually speaking, in terms of what it took to finally for, finally for me to reach a particular teacher, David Capps, as I mentioned already at the beginning, was quite circuitous. It kind of like went around almost in circles. Involving my, it involved my living in four different states and stretched over a period of almost 25 years. And that's part of, of my life that I'd like to share this evening. Okay, so to begin with, I want to say that uh, David Capps and his wife, Miriam Carroll, they're from Michigan, and I'm from, originally from Michigan. Okay, so um, they're, uh, somewhere around 1990, the Holy Spirit led Miriam and Dave to leave the Detroit area of Michigan and come and build by their own hands, they built a new home up here on this same mountain from which I'm speaking now. They were my neighbors. And they built this home because they felt that it would be a more secure, uh, safe, and healthy place to live. All right? So, um, as for me, um, the concept of mountains seems to figure in both physical mountains and spiritually speaking. Uh, the sense of mountains seemed to figure strongly into my journey through this life. You see, there was a brief period of a few years back in my early 30s that I spent doing missionary work, happened to be in Peru. And that was my first experience with physical mountains. And I could go into some details of some experiences I had there, but we don't have the time. Anyway, right. uh First, I should, should tell you that, uh, tell the audience that I was raised and I lived as a strict Roman Catholic for the first three decades of my life. But you know what? About the end of the third decade, the uh, ground seemed to crack under my feet, spiritually speaking. And uh, this was largely because I started to have serious doubts about certain of the teachings certain of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church. So that I did not know what was happening, but that's what I first experienced just prior to going away to the foreign missions. And But I went anyway to see what would happen. But after two and a half years in South America, in Peru, and I loved it there, the language is beautiful, the people are wonderful, but I had to leave. Why? Why did I have to come back? Because Carol had to find Carol. 
Otherwise, I would have stayed. I would have stayed. I mean, it was great. I was a teacher down there, and Catholic religion is the state religion. I could have gone on, uh, you know, for a couple decades down there. But I was falling apart myself. In fact, I spoke with a, um, a Catholic priest. He was British uh, from England. But this wonderful priest said, when I told him, I said, I don't know what's happening to me, but um, I'm just really kind of upset inside. He said, you are like a chariot that is drawn by two horses, but these two horses are going in opposite directions, and you're going to be torn apart if you don't make a change and face it, see? So then I, I came back, and as soon as I got back into the States, or once I was back in the States, um, I still was going through, um, for about four years, some fearful, guilt-ridden feelings. Uh, why do I say guilt-ridden? Well, because back then, the church was pretty strong in saying that uh, the Roman Catholic Church is the one church, the one faith that Jesus founded. And if you're born into this Catholic faith, uh, if you ever leave it, having been born into it, you might find yourself um, in pretty serious trouble with God. That was, they don't say that anymore, but that was, that was it at that time. So even though I didn't know what was happening to me, I took it all very seriously. So, Ingrid, stop me at any point if you care to. Otherwise, no. This is on, this right? is fascinating because it shows the dogma that was affecting you at the time. You know, from your oh from seeking beyond the church. So, yeah, keep going. You know, we're all fascinated. Can I, can I can I throw this in? You know what else? I think of these little children. I mean, I taught Catholic school many many years prior to going to the the foreign missions. But anyway, when I think of how. I dogmatically taught these children the best I knew, and if I were to teach them today, I would, I would not do it the same way. You know, that's a long story too. Okay, so well, of course, of that. course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what else is new, right? <laughs> okay, so let's let's start in my life back in um, 1976. All right, so I'm back from the foreign missions, came back around 72, and as I mentioned, for the next three or four years, I'm still struggling about the Catholic Church and my faith in it, okay? So um, about uh, Michigan was wonderful, beautiful, as anybody who's ever lived there with the lakes surrounding, it is a wonderful state, but it's pretty flat. The terrain is pretty flat, so something inside of me, having been in South America and now back in Michigan, something kept nudging me to go somewhere and find those mountains, you know, uh, where there was such beautiful land variation that I had loved so much when I was um, out of country. So, um, like I say, I still didn't know what was happening uh, at this time, but I continued teaching in the Catholic schools because I really wasn't yet quite finished with the Catholic Church. Okay, so now comes the summer of 76. I got this notion that I needed to go find mountains. I mean, that's crazy, but that's kind of what was in my brain. And so I loaded my car, left all my furniture with my family, and I loaded whatever I could put in my car, and I headed for Anaheim, California, uh, around Disneyland area, because I had a friend there who had a two-bedroom apartment, and she was alone, and she invited me to come and share her two-bedroom apartment. Well, let me tell you. The very first, I was no sooner there, the very first Sunday morning, I think I'd gotten there maybe on a Friday, and Sunday morning, I was planning on going to Mass, because I still <laughs> wasn't finished, but I turned on the radio in the kitchen of, of our apartment, 
And immediately I heard this voice, which was a metaphysical minister. His name happened to be Mark Raymond. And Mark invited the listeners, radio listeners, to come to the Anaheim Hotel the following evening, Monday, and he was going to do a lecture. Now, Mark Raymond is important in Carol's life only because through him I was introduced to another wonderful metaphysical minister by the name of Christopher Phelan. Christopher happens to be British also, (laughs) just like this priest in South America was British. Anyway, um, Christopher figured into my spiritual growth very strongly. So what happened was I would go to his, uh, Christopher, I kind of left off Mark Raymond, who was a wonderful guy too, but I, I gravitated toward Christopher. My soul seemed to take me in that direction. And I would go to his lectures, and then he started having all-day Saturday seminars. Um, And he would teach us about metaphysical principles and, you know, as he understood it, becoming one with spirit. Well, then he told told his, his students one time, he said, you know, if there's anyone here who has questions about your life, things you don't understand, or if you're troubled about stuff, you don't know where to from here. He said, I would be happy if you would like to make an appointment. He said, I might be able to help you. He said, "Um, in fact, if you would like, he said, I do these things called spiritual readings. I'm sure, Ingrid, you're familiar with spiritual readings, Mm -hmm. where a person where a person who has inner sight or inner sensitivity connected with God through the Spirit, that they can foretell or they can get a feel for things that are going on with you that you perhaps are not in at, at a stage yet where you can understand. So these uh, spiritual readings are a help in that way. So Carol thought, well, God, I sure have questions. <laughs> and so he said, I want you to, before you come, though, for your appointment, he said to, to all of us, He said, I would like you to write out a list of questions. He said, how about 10 questions? Bring your list of 10 questions to the appointment, and we will discuss them, okay? So I made my appointment on a particular day, and I met Christopher in the home of one of the students, another friend that lived in the, I believe it was Santa Ana, near near Anaheim there. Anyway, we met, and I don't know why, but we got into a conversation that lasted a couple of hours. What we were talking about, I don't remember, but I had my list of questions. And Christopher looks at his watch after a couple hours, and he says, oh, my goodness. He said, we've been talking, visiting here for so long, we didn't even get to the questions. But he said, I'll tell you what, if you're willing to give me your list of questions, I will go within, and I will try to decipher in the Spirit the best answers that I can to your questions. Okay, so as I mentioned, there were ten of them. I think he came to about number five. And by the way, had we just discussed my questions there, uh, you know, person to person, I might not even remember what I'm going to tell you now. But because he put it on an audio cassette, those are the days in the 70s when the audio cassette was what was recording, right? So I had a little audio cassette, and in a couple weeks, 10 days, a couple weeks later, in the mail comes this little audio cassette. And so I'm, I'm dying to listen to his answers. Well, the one I want to tell you about, and I can remember it verbatim, Christopher says, okay now. He says, as to your next question, where will I eventually settle down? Now, remember, I was, um, I left Michigan in the summer of 76, 
this is now the summer of 77, so I still wasn't sure that I was always going to stay in California or where I was going to go. So um, uh, he said, here's, here's Christopher's answer, and this figures into how, how I happened to finally find David Capps and several teachers in between prior, okay? Anyway, Christopher says, um, okay, so your question is, where will I eventually settle down? And he said, I don't get the name Washington State, but he said, I get a picture of a lot of forest-type green, much, much richer, deeper green, much more green than we have here in Southern California. So that was what I took from that question. And then uh, he said, he, in other words, he believed that I would end up in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, so then he went on to the other questions, but that's the one that I wanted to mention. Okay, so mm-hmm. comes I continued going to Christopher's um, seminars until about 1978-79. Uh, my personal life was changing a little bit, and for a certain reason, I moved to North San Diego, so a little bit south down um, towards San Diego. And I mentioned this at the end of the seminar to a group of my friends that were around. And this one lady, when she heard me say, I'm going to move to North San Diego this weekend, she said, or this next week, she said, oh my goodness, you are going to be very close to Flower Newhouse's um, uh, Christian mysticism retreat called uh, Quest Haven Retreat. It was a mile square of retreat property with um, uh, nature trails and all of that, plus a church. Now, Flower was a Christian mystic, and so when I got down to my, my new home, I did contact this ministry, uh, the Church of the Holy Quest, and um, by golly, I attended that for the next 11 years, so from 1979 to 1990. By the way, Flower, told, Flower Newhouse, her name was Mildred, but she said her guardian angel changed her name to Flower <laughs> when she was young. Well, anyway, Flower herself, she tells us that she came in from the angel line and that human beings sometimes are angels in the flesh. So I just leave that now. Okay, so I need to jump back, though, to 1984. Just one thing that happened in 1984 that figures in here. I told mm-hmm. you we were up to we were up into Quest Haven now in North San Diego. Now I got to go back to Orange County again for this. Um, I had become a patriot activist by this time. I began in 1979. Somebody gave me some mm, patriot literature to read, you know, and it really turned the light on for me. So I became uh, a student of of the Bush called Political Truth, and then. Um, Uh, I was an activist also, going to meetings and what have you. So in 1984, over here to Garden Grove, which is another suburb of Anaheim, I mean close to, uh, in the Orange County area, we were in Mm -hmm. Garden Grove at this time for our Patriot meeting on a hot, hot, hot Saturday afternoon. And here comes this Phoenix, Arizona police officer by the name of Jack McLam. He comes over to speak to our um, Patriot group. In fact, he was standing on a flatbed trailer out there in the hot, uh, <laughs> in the strip mall out in the parking lot. But anyway, I was amazed. I was so thrilled and amazed to hear this cop that spoke like a patriot. 
And I thought, wow, this is great. So immediately I knew I wanted to help him. I knew I wanted to support his outreach. And so for the next five years, that is from 84 to 89, I did what I could to support his ministry, sometimes donating, and I would get little packs of his newsletter. He, he published a newsletter for police officers telling them that when you took your oath of office as a peace officer, you swore to protect God-given liberties. Do not let yourself be drawn into the good old boys club where you, you know, the thin blue line where you just um, protect one another. You are there to protect the individual citizen and his God-given rights and liberties. So I love that message that Jack was telling his fellow cops. Later, he expanded it to the military also. Well, anyway, um, where am I here? Um, so we're, we're now up to, that's all I needed to say right there. Now we're going to jump back to 1989, and I am in North San Diego County. I'm in, uh, not far from where Lawrence Welk's uh, resort is around Escondido. That's where the, that's where the um, Christward Ministry or this Quest Haven Retreat is located. So about 1989, I'm in my apartment there, and it happened to be San Marcos. I'm in my San Marcos apartment, and I had been thinking a whole lot about Jack McLam's police education work. Now, he was a wonderful, as I already said, he's a wonderful teacher. He flew out in later years. He started traveling all over the country to these big expos, and uh, he would give lectures, and he was, he was just excellent. But one thing Jack was not, he was not an English major. And if I have any qualities at all, I tend to be, um, it tends to be in the literary field. So uh, I, you might say I'm a writer or could be a writer. And so I notice any grammatical errors or poor sentence structure or whatever. So I, I wanted to get with Jack and help him write his um, publication that he sent out, you know, across the country. And so I was bold enough one, one day in my apartment there I called Phoenix, Arizona. This organization was called Aid and Abet Police and Military Newsletter. But I called Jack at Aid and Abet, and I asked him this question. Now, he, he knew me as a donor, uh, donor in other words, a, a supporter, and he also knew that I got the newsletter when he published them, and I distributed them where I could to friends. So he knew me in that sense. He didn't know me personally. But I asked him, I said, Jack, is it possible that in Phoenix there, in your aid and abet office, that you might be able to use another um, volunteer? I didn't tell him why. I simply said, could you use another volunteer? Well, he perhaps didn't know what my motives might be. <laughs> so he said, well, um, and I said, well, how about this? What if I were to come over to Phoenix? Uh, it's, a, it's an easy day's drive, you know, from uh, North San Diego. Anyway, um, I said, how about if I were to come over and, and then just go out into your office and meet you and meet your other volunteers? By the way, no one was paid from Jack McLam's outreach. It was all volunteer staff, and, and he himself never got paid, of course. So anyway, uh, we made the arrangement, and I did. I went to Phoenix and um, spent a couple days, um, just got a hotel, you know, and then went out to the uh, Aid and Abet office and spent a day. And then I waited in my hotel um, Sunday evening, and Jack called, and he said, um, we discussed it, that is um, his other volunteers, and he discussed it, and he said, we think that we probably could use you. And so <laughs> then I spent the next five months um, undoing the businesses uh, that I had going there in um, uh, 
North San Diego. And so um, in, it was August, let's see, August 1st of 1990, I moved everything that I could load over to, and I, I just bought a, a mobile home in a park. So I bought my mobile home, and, and I, I went over and, and um, uh, started. Okay, hold on. Working. Okay, you're going to finish after the break, but I want to be able to introduce so everyone's real clear that Carol has been with RBN from the very beginning, and Jack McLam had a show here for a number of years, and Jack McLam needed Carol. Carol was the woman that really made Jack uh, take off. <laughs> so I want everyone to be clear on that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, okay, stay tuned. You're listening to Carol Asher and her spiritual journey. Public Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Do you truly want to stay out of the system? Are you prepared to buy into the biggest scam since the Iraqi dinar? If not, then put your money where it belongs, in your possession, not in the hands of an international MLM cartel. At Kettle Moraine Limited, we will provide you with the finest Swiss-minted detachable gram sheets of pure 24-karat gold for hundreds of dollars less than the so-called privately-issued credit cards with elusive gold backing. Gold backing... The only gold that I want is in my back pocket, not backed by promises of an operation even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is suspect of, giving a rating of C-. To get the full story, visit SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com and go to the Valcombi Bullion Vault. Once you have read the whole story about the scam being perpetrated on an unsuspecting public and how you can avoid being a victim by purchasing these beautiful, barterable, tradable sheets of gold at tremendous savings and in the strictest of privacy, be prepared to take the steps to protect your wealth with the purchase of the real deal. Detachable 50-gram gold bars from Kettle Moraine Limited by calling 602-799-8214. Ask about our one-ounce Valcombi detachable bars, which break into one tenth ounce bars and don't forget for all of your precious metal needs whether buying or having the need to sell call kettle moraine limited remember no dinar no celery and no carrots if you buy from someone else tell them you want au not bs call kettle moraine ltd today at 602-799-8214 kettle moraine ltd 602-799-8214 
Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. stretch of uh, talking to Carol Asher about her spiritual journey and how she found David Capps, the author of The Gospel of Thomas, A Blueprint for Spiritual Growth. And um, so do you want to go ahead and continue, uh, Carol? This is, this is yes, great. You know? Thank you, Ingrid. Yes, I do. But you know what? I forgot something. Remember when I told you back in my apartment, still in North San Diego, still in California, I uh-huh. called, I had the boldness to call Jack McLam and ask him if he needed another volunteer, right? Well, mm-hmm. I had a second, I asked him a second question, and this is very important. I said to him at some point in the conversation, I, it was really, now that I think back on it, Ingrid, it seems like a an invasive or kind of a bold question, but I asked it because I was really needing to know. I said, by the way, Jack, um... Are you and your family and your organization, are you like um, rooted in concrete? I know that I use those words. I said, are you like rooted in concrete in Phoenix? In other words, will you always, do you think you'll always live there? And guess what I was asking him? Because, look, I'm, lo- I'm leaving Southern California, which is dry enough and hot enough, and I'm moving over to Phoenix, which is even drier and hotter that is not getting me up to these green, cool woods of that Christopher saw in his vision back in 1977. So that was, I wasn't sure. I wanted to go and help Jack with his work. I wanted to help um, edit his newsletter and what have you. But I thought, this is not in the right direction. I'm going the wrong way. I'm going east, and I should be going north. <laughs> Something like that, right? <laughs> so it, right. he must... Jack must have thought that was a strange question, but he said, well, he said, um, he's so gentle, you know, he's so so kind and, and, and non-critical. Anyway, he said, well, my family is here, I have two sons, that, and one of my sons even has children now, he said, I have grandchildren here, and he said, uh, I said, well, that's 
that's fair enough, Jack. That's fair enough. I let it go, right? But that's Carol, Carol, back, back, Carol, back, back, Carol, 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 back off your mic a little bit. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, that's why I was asking him that question, because I thought, hey, wait a minute, God, I'm going in the wrong direction here. So, okay, I just needed to pick that up because I had forgotten to say that. Okay, so now we're back. I'm, I'm back now in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm working at the Aid and Abet Police and Military Newsletter Office. Jack was speaking all over the country, just like all the other great um, patriot teachers were at these big preparedness expos and such. And there was one other person that was speaking, and that was uh, Lieutenant Colonel James Bogreitz, Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel James Bogreitz, that just about all the patriots know. Anyway, Jack meets Colonel Bogreitz. And, and at some point, this is a, around 1991, 92, Bogreitz announces to Jack McLam at, at, on one of their engagements when they were together, he tells Jack McLam that he has gotten the idea to purchase large plots of ground, large plots of acreage, up in a place called Idaho County, Idaho. And so Jack listens to him. He said, the reason I want to do this is because, he said, I would like to form um, with our people up there, our patriot people, I would like to form a series of these constitutional covenant communities. Bo was upset that um, our, our people of, of America were not living the Constitution. Our government, I should say, was not honoring the Constitution, and our people were losing our liberties. That was what was motivating Bo. And so Jack listens, and by golly, guess what? It wasn't very long. Uh, Jack honored and, and really... Um, he really liked, he really loved Bo, and so he thought, maybe I can do the same thing. So guess what? Jack McLam comes to Idaho County at some point, and he purchases, by, this is by mid-90s now, probably before 1995, somewhere in the early 90s, Jack comes up here, and he scouts on the top of this mountain here, and he buys uh, large plots of, of ground also. And then each of these are subdivided. I mean, this, this acreage is subdivided into five and ten acre parcels for our people to, um, by the way, the five acres that I have right here that I'm living on, that my mobile home is on, that was a gift from Jack McLamb because of my years of service uh, at the aid and abet. So I did not pay for this. All I do is pay the taxes, and, and I'm here and <laughs> happy to be here. Okay. So isn't that yeah, something? That no, that is. It's how, just um, an amazing. That is, that is how Jack McLam's organization and myself, along with it, got to be up here in the Pacific Northwest. Isn't that something? It took, yeah. it took from 77 to 92, 77 to 92, for that to happen, for that, that prayer, if you will, to be, uh -huh. to be fulfilled. So I just thought that was um, pretty amazing, almost like a little miracle, you know, that Bogreitz would right. come along and say, I'm going, to no I'm going to Idaho, North Central Idaho. And then Jack says, hmm, not a bad idea. I'll go to North Central Idaho. So my question to Jack, will you always be in Phoenix? He thought so. Then God had other plans, right? And the whole Y two K, everyone was looking for you know some ground outside of a big city at that point. Exactly, 
Exactly. So um, I myself came here um, for the first time in September of 98. Uh, I was the one who always stayed uh, home at, at Jack's office, uh, took care of his pets, cleaned his house, answered the, the phone in the office and, um, uh, and, and did the mail and everything when uh, um, Theresa Hubner would, would make his travel plans and she would travel with him wherever they went to the big cities for these expos through the 90s and um, she kept his table. So she did all of that for him. And uh, Theresa remains my next-door neighbor over here at age 93 now. So she and I are still here on this mountain together. So um, anyway, um, that's I, I came here November 5th. Does that sound familiar, Ingrid? November 5th, two years ago, yeah. we lost John Statmiller. <laughs> um, right, wow. Be, yes, I will never forget. It was November 5th of 1998 that I actually, it was two months after I visited here, that we actually came up from Aiden Bet from Phoenix, with two huge uh, U-Haul trucks. And we came in in the most awful rainstorm. It was a deluge. And it just, it was a whole group of people here to, to meet us. Uh, Jack was, of course, in driving one of the trucks. His son was driving another one. And anyway, we got here in this horrendous rainstorm, but there were people just grabbing the boxes. We had to get those two trucks for some reason, they had to be delivered back to the company in the morning. <laughs> so we, we unloaded in the rain, just crammed it in these uh, storage units that we had. And uh, that, was, that was my initiation uh, to actually living right. here. So, uh, wow. Yeah, every, you know, other, other people have commented, you still keep getting close to the mic. Just kind of put a little distance because it, it makes it scratchy as all. Well. Sorry about that. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I get my I get my mouth back. Yeah. So, um, and and I find myself not not immediately, but this is 1998 November, and then by 1999, I remember is when I met Miriam Carroll and her husband David Capps, and I tell you this. I tell you this um, funny little thing. I had a friend by the name of David Levitt, another David. Dave Levitt lived just down the road, same road as Miriam and Dave's new home or the, that they had built. He was just down a half, oh, maybe a, a block or two down. And he came to me. We were friends, David Levitt and I were. In fact, we went um, ballroom dancing together, and he was, he was an excellent dancer, and so I was his partner. But anyway, he... He told me this little story uh, one day. He said, uh, by the way, he said, uh, David Capps is going to be starting some forgiveness lessons. He's going to have Tuesday meetings. Uh, would you like to go? And I said, well, okay, I'll go. And so then a little bit later he tells me that he and David, that is the two Davids, had been chuckling together and saying, oh, boy, here's this Catholic, this steeped-in Catholic person. Wait till she comes to our forgiveness, uh, Gospel of Thomas-type lessons and classes. How is she ever going to take it? Little did they know that I had not been a Catholic since, what, oh, gosh, um, the middle of, uh, of 1975. So they, they thought, I guess, it was, it was still Catholic. But that was kind of funny. We, we had fun over that. And, of course, I, I found the teaching that I um, was looking for, carried on. I mean, I, I got a lot of good out of um, metaphysics in, in Southern California. And I got a tremendous growth experience at the Church of Christian Mysticism, where I attended 
11 years in uh, North San Diego area. And then ultimately, in those eight years in Phoenix from 1990 to 98, I simply went to the uh, Unity Church. I wasn't actually Unity, but I did go there because I, I appreciated and, and, you know, um, uh, I, I thought that their teachings were valuable. And it was all based on love. This minister there at the Unity Church would say on a Sunday morning, put his arms wide open and he'd say, okay, how much of God's love can you draw into yourself today? He was such a sweetheart, you know, and I, that's what I loved about that, that um, ministry was that it was all about love. And um, so that was an interim before I then uh, uh, came on up here and found my teacher of the last 20-plus uh, years. Um, I studied with David for over 20 years, Miriam too. Miriam helped me tremendously because I would meet in their home many times, about every week, every Thursday for a long time. And then we had to cut it back to every other Thursday. But anyway, Miriam was always there, and she helped me so much with my forgiveness process, uh, because I was kind of messed up as a young person trying to break away from the church and uh, came out of a not-so-happy home to begin with. So I had a lot of, a lot of emotional things to be, you know, to be working on for healing. So Miriam and Dave were both, um, both helpful right up until um, we lost David on November 25th of... Um, 2020. So three years ago, this past November 25th, David Caps suddenly left us on planet Earth. So right. That's, yeah. That's so my, that that's, that's my interesting. Story. Right. Well, so when did the book actually manifest? Obviously, he had been taking notes. He, he's writ, according to, um, you know, his wife. Um, she actually said, Miriam told me that he wrote several nonfiction books before he wrote the Gospel of Thomas uh, commentaries and uh, the blueprint for both. Anyway, um, before you answer that, but I really need you to focus on getting back from the mic. It's, I mean, believe it or not, if you were to hear the replay, you'd, fi- you'd, you'd get it. So just, you know, hold the phone different. I mean, hold it under your chin or something. So, yeah, I want to know, like, how did the, I mean, obviously you were one of the, an editor of the book. I mean, the book is just beautifully written. There's a couple little mistakes I've caught, but not, not bad. You know, typos more, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I did um, proofread. Um, David, I don't know how to say this. Maybe Miriam could tell you better. But he was not only a spiritual writer. Uh, he wrote, um, you could call it science fiction of several books about the extraterrestrial um, realities and how how these uh, off-planet personages and civilizations are affecting the people of planet Earth. And uh, have you ever seen any of those books, Ingrid? No, I never saw Uh, any of other uh, books. um, I mean, not uh, by other uh, people, but not by David Capps, no. Oh my! Yes, he has. A, he had a series of them. I don't know if we still have any copies um, of them around, but um, of course they're they're out of print now. But uh, yeah, he was he was an he was a if I'm not mistaken he was um, uh, well, he was an engineer for sure. I, for, I always forget which kind of engineer he was. Mechanical, perhaps. He was an inventor. David was was an inventor. He even he even built. Um, an energy machine, you know, those uh, free energy machines or uh, machines that um, 
put out more energy than they use, you know, the perpetual motion machines. Right. David was, uh-huh. a, was an expert on that also. He was a designer, uh, an inventor. He was an amazing, amazing person. And uh, so grateful to have been drawn, you know, to, to um, you know, study with him for the last two decades of his life. And he left us way too soon, it feels like. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he had he had places to go. <laughs> all in all in God's plan, I'm sure. Right. So you know, you wonder how much inspiration you know that did he get from the other side? You know, because we, you know, there's the Iranian nuclear physicist Keshe, who um, was you know basically got a lot of his information from ETs, and mm-hmm. you know. I mean, we're able. I mean, you know, I I was able to witness them using his technology to. It was on uh, uh, press TV, you know, where they gravitationally they gravitationally pulled down one of Obama's drones, and as and I actually saw that episode where they were examining it in a hangar. You know, they were you know in something Uh in there, and press TV was filming it, and that signal died and you and they cut off just like the you can't see Russia today anymore in this country because the Ukraine war well all of your all the western countries that have the central bankers they do the same thing they're all connected right well the signal to press tv was killed over that episode i happened to turn it on and <laughs> i saw it so i i'm able to tell people that Rakeshi yeah. offered free energy to all the governments on this planet, you know, free energy, you know, using uh, what he yeah. learned, yeah. and um, and yeah. they all said no because they're they were too invested in the war machine and controlling humanity. Oh my! And this is yeah. what this is what needs to leave this planet, but it's going to happen faster and sooner if we work on our own spiritual growth. This is this is huge. We're all connected, and, and the more we work on our own spiritual growth, it changes the energy of everything on the planet. And this darkness can't live here. So we have to. We have. We really are connected, right, Carol? Yes, exactly. Um, one thing that um, David spoke often of to us was about um, full disclosure. And, and, and he, he loved the work of Nikola Tesla. We could, we could have free energy um, uh, over a hundred years ago, right, Ingrid? If, if the government had not set, shut it down. But anyway, um, uh, David, David understood and he would teach us. He could have probably drawn the plans for anti-gravity. Why, why can the uh, UFOs, why can the spaceships, uh, travel at such exorbitant speeds and go from a 90-degree turn just like this in a flash and they're gone, you know? It's because they operate not with um, diesel or gasoline. They're, they're operating on, um, uh, what do you call it, um, anti-gravity mechanisms. Are you right. familiar with that, Ingrid? I, I am. I mean, it's, you know, it's a whole other level of physics. We've actually not been taught correctly the gravity actually is an incorrect um 
view. Anyway, I have books on that, you know, but um, I think we get stuck on the law of gravity and it's not really a, a cut and dry law. But there is energy that we can tap into that's all around the planet. That was where Tesla was at, where, yeah. you know, there's there's energy emanating from our bodies. There's energy emanating from the earth itself and that we right. can tap into. So, and then Tesla was uh, from Venus, you know, kind of like Valiant Thor, who visited the Pentagon, you know, years ago. There's a lot of evidence of that. And they're here. Yeah, so he was from Venus, uh, his soul anyway, and and um, there's many people here like that that aren't originally from this planet to change the channel on this planet. But we need to do the work. If we want to be part of this great awakening and actually move into this thousand years of peace, we need to do the work. We need to experience, you know, and, and do the lessons in the back of the book. So, I mean, I'm offering... You know, Carol is offering this uh, to all of us. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, we're sad that uh, David left us physically and, and you know, his wife, Miriam. I mean, she's, you know, nearing, you know, the end of her physical life herself. You know, she has her own, you know, health things. And, you know, when you start she getting to a so certain I. age. I know. Well, we all are. We all are. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll get a med bed, right? We'll revive you because there's so much wisdom in the old people. And I, I you know, I, I hate to lose every time, you know, I hear of someone passing. I remember when I turned 50. This is really funny. When I turned 50, I would, you know, I'd go, I get all my clothes at the thrift store. And I remember seeing this, this dress that was, it had enough black in it that would be like a nice black robe or, you know, a black dress, you know, for a funeral. And I said, well, I'm going to buy this. I'll probably never wear it, but I, I know I'm going to be doing a lot of memorials and funerals as the older I get. And I'm, now that I'm 50, I'm hitting that halfway point, you know. <laughs> so, but I mean, I just, you know. It is part of life, you know, the older you get, the more, you know, your uh, companions and, and dear friends drop off. And it's just uh, the nature of the cycle of life. But I, I want everyone to know how absolutely imperative it is for you to use this experience of a physical body to raise your consciousness, you know, get in touch, do lessons. It's all about controlling our thoughts and our mind and actually, you know, paying attention to the chatter of our ego and and getting that under control and uh, forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a huge key to everything, you know. I mean, having a grudge against anyone is absolutely stupid. It's just stupid because it's it's part of life's experiences. People know not what they do. We have to turn that energy into compassion. We don't necessarily have to go into business with those people. You know, have a contract with them. But if we hold the past over people, that that seeing everyone that you had a grievance with, and seeing them in those eyes of the past, and I, I'm guilty of that. I have a couple people. That, you know, I mean, I'd have to see them change, you know, but I'm keeping them in their pattern and not allowing them to change just by keeping them in my past perception of them. I mean, our thoughts actually connect on that level. Ingrid, one thing that David taught us, too, is that you said how how silly it is or how, how crazy to hold grudges. And one thing David taught us is that um, be careful, not only David, but he did teach this. He said be careful about um, 
your relationship with others because if you are holding any kind of a grudge against anyone else in any way, shape, or form, if you have a debt to the other person, whoever, you are going to have to meet that soul again somewhere along the line, be it in God's world or be it back here on earth or whatever. So I think it's crazy. We need, like you say, we need to be loving and forgiving for our own sake, for our own good as well as our brother, right? Right, exactly. So we are nearing the end. So do you want? We have like less than two minutes. So do you want to close out the show? If I can, if I can have one of those minutes, Ingrid, I knew that you were. I've always known since you were doing the Idaho Observer, you and uh, and and your husband. Um, we're doing this wonderful monthly news, newspaper throughout Idaho. I knew you were spiritual, but I was frankly surprised when you showed an interest in the Gospel of Thomas or any of David Capp's teachings. But I'm so grateful that you did and you shared it with other friends, and uh, I'm, I'm honored and, and just thankful to, to have been like uh, a connector there in that little way. I will say finally, I, just, I thank you for that, Ingrid. And one oh, last thing course. I would like to mention, one last thing I'd like to mention is that another um, adept or, or highly evolved person that David Capps admired and talk, uh, spoke of so often was Mahatma Gandhi. And Mag- Mahatma Gandhi made this statement, which I've on my, I have it on my wall here because it means so much to me. Gandhi said, the day that the power of love overrules the love of power, the world will know peace. The day the power of love overrules the love of power, the world will know peace. That's beautiful. Yeah, he, he had definitely some beautiful sayings. He was very clearly connected himself. I mean, you know, there will be people that say, well, there's a whole other dark side of Mahatma Gandhi. But all I can say, you know, just like Martin Luther King, there was a, a total beauty in their spirit and what they shared. So thank you so much, Carol, for for coming on and, uh, and sharing, you know, the history of, uh, you know, connecting with uh, David Capps and and I, I will be Again, happy wanted- to share these books, uh, okay. but, you know, I gave you links to Amazon. So if anybody is interested, this is the short path to getting on with it. <laughs> so go yeah. on. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ingrid, and thank you to um, Dr. Dean also. And, and thank you to all the people on your uh, line here who cared enough to listen tonight. God bless everyone. Yeah, God bless you, too. Okay. there are you gonna wait till the cows come home to get your new ease off drop and lift what in the world is an ease off drop and lift our ease off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control that sounds great but can i afford it sure and the ease off installs fast the effortless operation will reduce fatigue speed up your line and increase profits Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E A Z E 
EaseOffTheOffF.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 